Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week. It's another episode. And it's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, it's with uh, my friend Bobby Bloomfield. Now, Bobby uh, was in the incredible band Does It Offend You? Yeah. And when they went on hiatus, Bobby then moved uh, into this amazing space, which he has, has built up and, and established something really wonderful called The Rattle. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it because as this podcast unfolds, we we talk about um, what he's doing and what he's reinvesting into the music industry and 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 creative talents, and it's it's, it's something you know really special to 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 to, to hear him talk about. Um, thanks to Seventy Six for producing this. Um, there may be a few little um, noises in the background of this. We sat in a in a quiet corner of a, a sort of communal space at uh, we work in, in, in East London. Um, but occasionally I think you'll get a, the noise of a, a lift or, uh, or, or some people sort of walking in and out of lifts, having a chat. So don't let that put you off. And I'm sure 76 has done his utmost to, to ensure it sounds lovely for you, you people. Um, Big thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you very much to my name is Ad for doing the artwork for this. Thank you uh, to Ben Berlin for facilitating the space for this recording. Thanks ever so much to Bobby. Um, and if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track and you enjoy it and and you have an interest in listening to um, creative people talk about their journey and, and the importance of music in it and the songs that have soundtracked it, then please do have a look in the, the back catalogue because there's a, a wealth of really good chats there with some amazing people, whether they be actors, musicians, producers, DJs. Um, they've all had some wonderful experiences and stories to tell. And, uh, and, and you know, please go and dig deep and, and enjoy them. That's what they're there for. And if you still want more, then feel free to um, go over to the Patreon page where I put a standalone episode up there each week as well. You can find out about everything at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm done waffling, so let's get on with this podcast. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track with Bobby Bloomfield. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And 
what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. And we are recording. We are at the WeWork building in Devonshire Square, London. Uh, we're not in one of our little cubby holes that we normally record in we're actually in a public domain so there will be normal people wandering around um there is a chance that there'll be some background noise in this one so uh bear with but uh you'll soon tune out to that and tune into me and my guest and my guest today is uh is my my, my friend of quite a few years now i guess bobby bloomfield hello all right yeah um how long have we known each other now? Uh, at least 10 years, I think. I reckon you was DJing at Camden and definitely you done Queen of Hoxton, didn't you? Yep. That would have been about nine, ten years ago. There how, you mean, go. how long? Nine or ten Not, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, said yeah. 19 then. Yeah, so, <laughs> so when we met at the time you was in Does It Offend You Yeah, the band, yep. which I'm sure we'll talk about as we discuss your creative journey so far. And I think one of the more recent times that listeners of this may have stumbled across your voice was when you came on stage for the Hardcore Listing live show. Yep. Uh, which was, that was probably nearly two years ago now. Um, Time flies. Yeah. And, but you're here to do Off The Beaten Track, which is great. Um, right. Track one, Bob. Straight in. The song with the greatest intro. Okay. Well, you, you, you asked me this question and I sent you two. Yeah. That's all right. You can always have honorable mentions, mate. And the reason I gave you two is because my first instinct was Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Mm-hmm. But then my second instinct was, I bet everyone picks that because that's clearly... Oh, nice beat noise. That's clearly the best intro of yeah. all time. So then I'll go for Beatles Tomorrow Never Knows. So we, what do I do? Do I pick one? You've got, I mean, I've got you're only allowed one. one. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Just because it was so important, I'll go for Nirvana. Okay. So I think a few people have put, put it. A few people have done what you've done and said, I bet everyone's going to go for this, so I'm going to go for something else. No one's gone for Tomorrow Never Knows yet. Ah, uh, balls. I'll go for that. Yeah. It's too and, late. <laughs> and it's, no, you're right. You, you, you can switch it, because that is an incredible record, right? Yeah. Um, not that Teen Spirit isn't. I think Beatles-wise, Josh Weller, for the greatest intro, I think he went for Help by the Beatles. And I thought, okay. that's a great shout, because it's just that urgency... <laughs> Of just straight in, isn't it? That's just help straight away. Yeah, yeah. And, Whereas uh, tomorrow never knows is almost exactly the opposite. It's completely wigging out psychedelia of sitars yeah. and God knows what else is yeah, in, the, yeah, in yeah. the mixing pot. There, it's 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 so ahead of its time. It's it starts with a drone on the tempura, and then it has probably the first breakbeat loop. Has there been a breakbeat before that? Well, there was there were breaks. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly, coming out of the states and Motown and stuff. Yeah. That's that. That would be when the drum has a little bar. Yeah. But this was uh, a loop with no fills or anything, and it's it's purely dance music yeah. almost. Um, and there's no variable. That whole song has the same drum loop, the same bass loop, and it doesn't change chord. It's only one note. It's a one note song. <laughs> was that? Ringo in the studio I think so yeah I've I watched I recently watched the um, the oh, what's it called no the Beatles, anthology yeah um, and they were listening to a previous version of that tune with a different drum beat yeah and almost everything else is identical but it just doesn't work and and they they hit upon that sort of fidgety awkward beat and then suddenly yeah. the song came alive because Obviously, quite famously, John said that Ringo weren't even the greatest drummer in the Beatles. But am I right in saying... I mean, you, we should say you was the drummer in Does It Offend You, yeah? Yep. So you know your way around some sticks. Yeah. Um, am I right in saying that... Is it Pretty Purdy played on some of the Beatles records? Yeah, I think uh, at one point Ringo quit. Right. And they got someone else in. Uh, Quincy Jones thinks Ringo's really shit. Oh, really? Um, I happen to think he's really, really good, really inventive, and a bit like the way Kim Deal is an amazing bassist, that she doesn't do any of the any of the tricks. When a bass line gets boring, yeah. most bassists will throw in like a run because yeah. they want to show off. Yeah. Kim Deal will just do the thumping, yeah. solid bass line, and Ringo's the same. Yeah. He'll, he'll completely serve the song. And yeah. he never shows off. But that's a good drummer, right? Yeah. Yeah, you play what works for the record, right? Yeah, but every now and then your ego kicks in and you're like, I'm, I'm going to show off now. Where's my gong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did you watch, um, there was a documentary on TV uh, last week. It was on the iPlayer about um, women in music. Oh, no, I haven't seen it's that It's really good. It's really good. And uh, not Kim Dial, uh sister was... Uh, Oh, God, what's her sister? Uh, uh, Ki- Kimberly? Kim no, and Kim Keely? And... Um, Kim's sister that was in the uh, the Breeders. Yep. Uh, she'd never played the guitar. Her sister was like, I'm starting a new band. Like, you, you need to be in it. Oh, yeah. right, we'll uh, learn to play the guitar. Would you, would you, we'll keep it simple. Like, literally couldn't play an instrument and was then in the Breeders with Kim Dial and, and 
yeah. Just goes to show the thing that there are, there are loads and loads of musicians that you meet, and they, especially session musicians, they can be technically wonderful, but creatively yeah. completely bereft. Yeah. Um, and I think there might be something that happens if you are technically brilliant, if you learn loads of really cool routines on your instrument, you, you don't leave room for mistakes and creativity. And yeah. I think pure creativity is mistakes. It's, it's, it's the anomalies and the, and the weirdness that goes on in your brain and, and you turn that into, into something new. And I guess they both serve each other because a lot of bands we just want someone that can come in the studio and say, right, I need this to sound exactly like this. And they can do that. Yeah, but then yeah. if you went, oh, these three chords, can you just write us a, a song? They'd yeah. be like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah. And like, which I think is crazy. And well, my technical inability has always led me to think it was far more exciting to be one of them people that could just come up with good ideas with very limited skills. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that's, that's punk, isn't it? You well, know? yeah. It's also... The Velvet Underground yeah. over Ingrid Malmsteen or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of bands um, will have the you know the visionary, the idea person. Then they'll have technicians, and everyone plays their part. Yeah. Um, quite often, the drummer is the technician. But in Ringo's case, his I think his contributions were just as as valuable. Yeah. Um, well, not just that's ridiculous, actually. <laughs> In, in order, I mean, he's the I'm, last. I'm on board with Ringo, but I'm, I'm not having him up there with John or Paul well, <laughs> or George. George, I think, is the underrated. He's the genius. coolest as well. Yeah, he's the coolest, and his uh, his post Beatles career was the best. I think. Yeah, um, those uh, living in a material world is amazing, and uh, and the other one that I can't remember. Uh, what's the first one? Uh, the first George hit. First George album. Oh God. I might have to look at my phone. Do it. Amuse yourself. It is. I'm looking at my... Do you edit this? No. Oh, no. Balls. No, you're just literally okay, spoiling it right now, Bob. <laughs> this is... Uh, all things must pass. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah, he always looked the coolest as well, George. Yeah, and, and I think it was his influence that... Well, it was obviously his influence on that tune that introduced the tempura and yeah. the... You know the Eastern spirituality yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. the, you know where where psychedelia met, meets Eastern religion. So, moving on from what well, we've not really spoke about, does it offend you? Yeah, and this will happen as this this unfolds this podcast. But um, just fast forwarding quickly, that you you now own a, um, I guess a, a studio or or a kind of a you know a, a, a hub of nurturing new and exciting talent so we will i will let you elaborate on that uh, shortly bob but um in regards to you as a musician and also talking to new musicians as well at the rattle intros in the current climate we live in as well uh, i've asked lots of guests this especially people that are actively involved in producing music in, in the world where shazam and everything is instantaneous and it's not a case of I'm going to buy the album and, and uh, you know, when it gets to oh, track six is my favourite. I'm cherry picking records off of iTunes now. Yeah. Intros. How much emphasis do you put on that personally when you make music and when you're recommending to other people that are trying to break through in music? It's, I think it's just as important as it was in the radio days, if not more. The, the first 30 seconds is your 
sonic fingerprint. Um, so it's got to say everything about your culture, your mission as, a, as an artist, and and what the song's about as well. Um, using Tomorrow Never Knows as an example, it's like it's the first thing is an Indian instrument, and then it's a loop, and then there are some weird bloopy bloppy mm. avant-garde noises, and they're immediately saying we're we're flipping the record now we're changing things yeah um to the point where it really pissed off loads of beatles fans because it was it was monotonous they mm-hmm. thought and not a proper song yeah um but yeah the, it's the it's the fingerprint of the song and it's vital um but what if you focus too much on that you become uh, a songwriting machine and less of an artist um i think the foibles of the streaming world have meant that people focus so much on, on the intro yeah. that the rest of the song is sort of forgotten about. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, but I also think that the Beatles, as much as they did wig out with songs like Tomorrow Never Knows, it's still laden with pop hooks, man. It's, it's oh, still yeah. like... It's so infectious and it's... Yeah. And I guess it's the groove that, that, that carries it through, isn't it? But, okay. Track two, Bob. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. <laughs> no one's chose this one before, by the way. <laughs> well, I thought I'd be honest yeah. here. Uh, the first song that I remember that really physically took me and changed the way I felt and the way, like, literally the way I felt and gave me tingles was the Knight Rider theme. Yep. Um, it was so fucking exciting yeah. when that came on TV. The music was so, at the time, futuristic yeah. and weird and um, sort of computerized and synthy yeah. and electronic. I thought it was amazing. And I remember asking my mum, what is this song doing to me? Because I can feel something in my arms. Like, and and it's, taking my, it's making me short of breath. And the best music still does that to me. It still sort of gives me goosebumps and what you, gives what me you... a physical reaction. So that emotion would be what? Well, this is what I was trying to ask my mum. Yeah. I, I, looking back, it must be excitement. Yeah. It must be just like boyish excitement. Yeah. Um, but I also got the same thing from Electro. That, that came very shortly after. Um, I guess that's original hip-hop. Because yeah. Because of this, this new Electro, which is a yeah. completely different thing. But yeah, the sort of... About 1984, 85, there was yeah. all this Electro coming over and... How old are you, Bob? I'm 41. 41, okay. So right. suddenly there was music that made me dance. Yeah. Whereas music hadn't done that before. Yeah. Um, and I think m- most music that I like has to have that element to it where something physical happens and I, want, and I bop my head or, or if it's classical, I need to be moved physically by it. I, I was listening to um, someone talking about... Uh, it was... I, I had... Um, Tim on from Transgressive Records, who owns right. Transgressive. Um, I don't know if you've met him. Um, and uh, it's, he, he was talking about this band called, uh, let's say, Grandma, that he, he's, work, that he's signed. And they're working like, massively on the, sort of the, the, the sonics of things that some people can't experience goosebumps, and some can. And they're working on sort of sands that actually cause a a physical reaction. That's amazing. Uh, and it then sort of started chatting about it. And on Michael Jackson's uh, 
dangerous, I think it was. There's so much stuff on there that you wouldn't know that he's put there. Because apparently he was quite a, a front runner in that kind of let's use this technology that creates an emotion, uh, sorry, a, a physical response to, to to something you know that that he's he's, he's recorded. Which is That's fucking, really cool. I'd love mental, to know more it? about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that um, supposedly certain uh, rhythms and frequencies can um, lull your brain into different states, like alpha. An alpha state, if if the if the song has like beats of eighty beats per second, uh, I don't mean beat. I mean um, a wave of eighty, yeah, eighty beats per second. Um, but I don't know if that's pseudoscience or not. But it's, that fascinates me. The other thing that fascinates me is my brother gets AS, ASMR. What's that? You know when people will listen to someone whispering and then they'll immediately get goosebumps and a strange feeling over their body. Have you not heard of this? Yeah, I have. I didn't know that was what it was called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and from from what he was telling me, only certain people can yeah can get goosebumps. I mean, how weird is that? That is bonkers. Like, do you get goosebumps? I, I get goosebumps um, all the time. If if I don't get goosebumps in a session in the studio, or if I don't well up or get a lump in my throat, I know that the song isn't that good. Yeah. I'm not trying hard enough, and I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not pushing the buttons. Um, By I, my co-founder, who's a really great musician and producer, doesn't really get that effect from music, but he gets it from food. And I've seen him eat a really good cheese and well up, and get goosebumps. That's so weird. You say that. My business partner, even if he talks about some food he had yeah. that blew his mind, his tears literally his eyes fill with tears. That's so great. It's so great that people can be so that emotionally available about something yeah. they really love. Yeah. Yeah, he's never read a book. He has <laughs> very little to say for himself, apart from the fact he's a greedy bastard, to the point that he will cry over his dinner. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, going back to 84 and stuff like that and before you've kind of started to discover electro and things like that was there music on at home anyway was your parents playing music Bob yeah yeah um, my dad was a musician he was an organist um, and he was always playing piano or organ at home so I still love things like uh, Eric Satie and Debussy and um, all his classical vinyl that was when I first started discovering music it was Half classical, half Beatles, half yeah. and bits of Yes and and kind of weird prog stuff from the seventies. It's nice though, isn't it? Because like at the time, it's all new, and as much sometimes you can look back and like I look back at some of the stuff that my parents listened to, and I think God, that was absolute shit. But it all kind of goes in the pot, doesn't it? And, and yeah. sometimes you might hear something from something. Oh yeah, that was definitely that. Even though that he's completely dismissive of of what that was, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, I think it's important to uh, to have a little sort of leaf through your, your your parents' record collection. And I mean, there was things like there. Were, it was so weird. Literally, I was talking about it the other day because the Rocket Man films just come out, the Elton yeah. John film. And I remember um, my parents had Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on double yellow vinyl. And it was just, I don't think I even played it at first. I just i just opened this gatefold and pulled the vinyl out and it was like lemon yellow. And it was yeah. like, 
this is incredible. And the sleeve, like the cover art, is amazing. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, like, sounds really ridiculous, but I was just far more excited by that than I was books. Yeah. And, like, and as much as like, I haven't got an issue with reading books, but to this day, I'd still rather leaf through some, a, a record shop than I would a library. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's a real shame that that's a lost art form now. Um, I, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of people on here who just sound like old men and women who, who talk about the loss of records, but it is a real shame not to have that f- yeah. physical piece of art in your hand yeah. and go through the lyrics and the excitement of unwrapping it and placing the music on a machine that played yeah. the music. It's a real loss. And I also think because we now stream songs rather than listen to pieces of work by artists, artists are being lost. And, and now we live, it's almost like a, songs get famous and songs are revered, but artists aren't anymore. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, and that really bothers me, I think, as an artist. Well, I, um, I interviewed Frank Carter the other day for this, and, uh, and, and the episode's actually out now as well by the time this one comes out. Um, and he was saying that, that you know they still spend so much time sitting down as a as a band and talking about track listing yeah and in a world where a lot of people would just buy two tracks off of iTunes or the one they know off of iTunes yeah. he was still adamant that the album was a piece of art a body of work and i think that's something that is being lost and that's the thing that i think when i hear people say that they still give a shit about things like that yeah because you know even you lost a bit of it. So I'm going to start behind the grumpy old man there. But <laughs> when you went from vinyl to CD, you lost a lot of impact of the sleeve. Yeah. You know, and, and even more so now when it just pops up on your, on your phone, just the picture of it. Like, it's not the same as that tangible no. thing of, 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 of owning something. But, yeah, but from sp- speaking to Frank, it gave me a little bit of hope that there's still people that are, like, you know, making incredible music that still want it to be heard as a piece of art. I think it's because that's the art form that... I think that the generation coming up now, that's not their art form. That yeah. The album isn't isn't yeah. what they aspire to. But my generation, certainly, and I think for the next, you know, 10 years younger than me, um, and my band, Does It Offend You? Yeah, uh, the, the second album, James was so adamant that it was an album that we delivered it as one MP3 to the record label. So they couldn't... So they couldn't, like, <laughs> decide... Um, you know, what's the lead song? Which one has the best choruses? Which is the yeah. catchy one for radio? So, no, it's, it's an album. That's a genius move. Yeah. Brilliant. Of course it got cut up in the end. But, yeah. But um, it, we just wanted people to listen to the whole thing. Um, what, we, what used to boggle our minds is that they were, the industry, the old industry, which is pretty much dead now, would just listen out for those... those single uh, chorus hits or um, individual songs and and disregard the album. And I remember when we did deliver that, our then manager listened to the album on his MacBook speakers and we were like, we're all about the bass, so what were you listening to? What, What were you hearing? Like, tinniness. That's shocking. Yeah. Am I right in saying that were some of the members of Does It Offend You Yeah, ex-industry as well? No. 
Right. Uh, well, uh, I mean, uh, no. No, James's dad was a producer, 80s okay. producer, Martin Russian. Really? Yep. Um, uh, so quite an important producer. Just a bit? Yeah. I didn't know that. Did you not? Wow. Yeah, so he was a, he was a mentor to James and... Well, I'd like to pretend he was a mentor to me just because I was around sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned a few bits and bobs from him, and a lot, a lot of that was don't feel that you're beholden to the label or, or the manager. As the creator, you're the boss. And I really like that as, as a sort of a mantra. Is that a mantra that you've then... The, yeah, that, that I... To that the I, rattle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Okay. Well, I think after this one, we'll start to get on to your career in music. But, um, but before that, let's, let's take it back to school. And uh, for track three, the song that reminds you of your time at school, Bob. Sure. Uh, well, I... Th- fucking hated school right i really really hated it that's my next question (laughs) i was um i just i wasn't very good at conforming i don't i don't mean to the to the teacher's expectations i mean to the sort of social expectations i was i didn't like football and i couldn't pretend to like football and i'm very bad at pretending to like things just to fit in so i was just this sort of weird kid who was into music uh and at the time, I was miserable, so the most miserable music I could find was The Cure. Yeah. <laughs> They're well good at being miserable. Yeah, really, really good at it. And this song is Three Imaginary Boys. Um, Amazing. Which is super dreamlike, very dreary, and it's when you're in a dreary mood, 
and you put your Sony Walkman headphones on and walk through school, um, it's like there's someone who's got your back yeah. as, as an artist. Yeah. If everyone around you is like really straight and really normal and doing yeah. really well and you're like a freak, yeah. it's good to know there are other freaks out there. Yeah. Oh, why did Morrissey have to start saying dumb shit, Bob? I know, I know. <laughs> he was mine. I but he's know. fucked it all now. <laughs> it is so weird. But, um, so, you're probably, you're in good company with this because so many people have chosen The Cure. Wow. Like, um, and again, for kind of similar reasons, that it was just like, I guess lots of creative people are outcasts at school and don't quite aspire to be the jocks and play football. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And like find their interests creating Which, which is why stuff. I find it really sinister when the popular kids from school start bands. Yeah. When, when it's the jocks. Yeah. <clears throat> and that was a thing that happened in the 2000s. There were all these, you know, buff American jock bands coming over and just don't trust them. Yeah. It's like, what are you... What is the point to anything yeah. you're saying? Are you talking about Limp Bizkit? That sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> Limp Bizkit, some 41, all that kind of Blink-182. Yeah. Um, I much prefer art made by the neurotic weirdos yeah. than by the, the jocks of the it's world. It's more interesting. Yeah. Also, I think art... If you have a load of self-belief and think you're awesome, where is your art coming from? Where's your, what are you questioning? Yeah, what's monitoring the, the art that you're making and yeah. saying, is it good enough? Is it good enough? Is it good yeah. enough? And I think neurosis and um, being outcast is, is where that, a lot of that good art comes from. Aside from Robert Smith, did you have any like-minded souls around you at school? Yeah. So, as I said, I hated school. Um, but the music you said part, that I have a lot of conviction. I really Bob. hated it. Um, <laughs> junior and senior. So junior school was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, but going from junior school where I was, um, the whole world revolved around me. I went to secondary school where the whole world did not revolve around me. And I was a little boy surrounded by, you know, fully grown men and, yeah. and women. And I, yeah, it was, it's horrible. It's horrible to do that to to a, to a small kid. I think it should be phased, perhaps. What um, school? Yeah. Also, I was I, I was um, I was born in August, and I'm sure a lot of people born in August will understand exactly what I mean now. So you were the youngest kid in your year. So around puberty, while everyone else is like got beards and deep voices, you're like hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're the sort of runt of the litter. Yeah. Um, but that's not the reason I hated school. I hated school because um, I wasn't allowed to do any art, or any music, or any drama, or anything like that. So nothing like that was encouraged? Nothing like that. Um, I couldn't... I well, where, where was this, Bob? This is in Wokingham. Wokingham. Horrible place. But I wasn't allowed to do music because I couldn't read music, because I have uh, dyscalculia, um, which that? is like a... It's like a problem with maths and, and substituting things for symbols i'm fine at reading and writing but when it comes to reading dots on a page i'm fucked when it comes to um complicated maths i'm i'm really i struggle but the thing is i'm i have a natural talent for music but not being able to do music gave me a chip on my shoulder which i've carried all my life 
um, which has probably made me a professional musician. Yeah. In that I'm, I have to prove myself. Yeah. Um, but do you not think that lots of people that are maybe not, and, and, and I know exactly what you're saying, and I don't want to generalise football, but because I'm not a fan of football, but I was never that good at football. Yeah. And so I was never going to be one of the cool kids, you know. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't an, a, a, you know, an outcast at school. I would say I was a classic in-betweener. I got by. Yeah. Um, but I probably nodded and said yes to lots of things that I probably yeah, yeah, shouldn't yeah. have just to kind of get through school. Well, I was, I was actually the same. I, I was, there was the sort of mainstream cool gang, the football types. Yeah. Um, but then Nirvana happened. Yeah. And then suddenly everyone around me also liked music. Yeah. Um, I'd been, I, I, I went to see The Cure when I was like 11. Um, but when I was 13, it's like everyone else in my year suddenly discovered music as well. Yeah. And for me, that was awesome because now I was, I was one of the music gang. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I found people around me and they were the music people. So I hung around the music department even though I wasn't allowed to do music. But just going back a little bit. To, to, to being like not in the cool gang, so mm. to speak, or what's deemed the cool gang. Did you draw from that and use that as a, a kind of, well, I'll do my thing and fuck you? Yeah. And do you um, think you've carried that post school into music? And when your band start to get successful, do you always have, is it ever in the back of your mind, fuck you's? blah 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 look what I'm doing now yeah but it's in my in my mind it's framed very differently I've I never wanted to be in that cool gang but it was expected of me to be in that yeah um but what was cool when I went to school was not being clever I remember in in French lessons if if you were meant to speak in French if you were in the the cool gang you'd be you would do it wrong on purpose you'd be like je, je m'appelle Dan uh I never understood that sort of willful um, embarrassment of being clever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not like I'm clever at all. Yeah, but I've I've never understood that. I've never aspiring to to be brighter is not is nothing wrong with that. Do you no. know what I mean? And it no. shouldn't be ridiculed. But unfortunately, it is, and I'm I'm probably sure it still is in lots of. Yeah, you know, I've got I've got kids that are are fourteen and sixteen and. Some of the stuff they say, um, you know, about people that the, you know, literally my eldest is doing their exams now and said like, yeah, blah blah blah. Said he weren't going to bother. He was going to just go to sleep when he got in the exam. And he did, and everyone thought it was hilarious. And you just think, man, that's the sort of shit that was happening when I was at school. Yeah. Like people that just didn't really give a shit. It was almost like they were cool because they went asleep in their exams. It's like yeah. you have to sort of remind your kids. It's like, no, man, that's. That's not cool. It's like, not cool. Just, I I didn't I just I just didn't give a shit. Mm. I knew that I that me having a a GCSE in geography or biology wasn't ha- going to have anything to do with my life because yeah. I knew exactly what I needed to do, which was either work work in music or in film, and I've done both since. Yeah. Um, what has what has been good, despite me really disliking it at the time was being forced to do all the sciences um which has made me science literate and, it, and in, a, in a world of music where a lot of people believe in 
you know, nonsense and crystals yeah. and, and conspiracy theories and stuff. Being science literate has made me able to cut through a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's I don't know where I'm going with this. No, 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 I know exactly where you're going with this. But, all right, so let, let's, let's move on now to um, the, the, the first song that you can remember buying from a record store. Yep. <laughs> this, I think... This is the, the only one I can remember. I'm sure I had records before it. It was Oxygen, part... Well, it was, it was the Oxygen album by Jean-Michel yeah. Jarre, um, which I listened to on the way here, and it's really shit. Do you know what, right? When you sent it over, I've not had much time, but I thought, do you know what? I haven't heard that for a long time. I had a mate that was obsessed with him, and when... Not too far from here at Docklands, he'd done Destination Docklands, the big live spectacular in about yeah. 1986 or something like that. And we could see it all from where we lived up the, up the river. And, and it was just like the coolest thing. He had like a, a laser harp with asbestos gloves that he was playing yeah. on stage, <laughs> which, you know, it was the future that, do you know what I mean? It was like, but then I just thought, I wonder if like you hear it now. Will it have the impact of, say, listening to Kraftwerk or listening to Japan or something like that? I don't know. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> what, what it, it must have... It, I think it's been soiled by a million magic routines. Yeah. Near that... I just instantly Behold. think of... Yeah. Welcome. I just think of these Vegas magicians soaring a woman in half yeah. to that music, and it's just... It's lame. <laughs> Um, but when I was like seven or something, it was, yeah, it was so futuristic. It yeah. was awesome. I, this was my pocket money I spent yeah. on it. I got it on cassette tape. Yeah. Um, where'd yeah. you get it? Do you remember? Yeah. It was in Prince's, uh, square in Glasgow. Oh, right. Yeah. Were well, you living in Scotland then? No, but my family were Scottish. <laughs> right. Um, so we were up there shopping one day <laughs> I spent my pocket money on Jean-Michel Jarre. Do you know what? It was like, it was a massive thing, like, around our way, Michel Jarre. And it was like, because there was the Destination Docklands and the other big one was Rendezvous Houston, which right. was the other big spectacular. And it was like, and it's weird because he wasn't a pop star, Jean-Michel Jarre, was he? No. But he, was... he must have sold millions of records, like, because these gigs he were playing, he was playing, were, like, ridiculous. Like, the 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 production on it must have cost fortunes and it was like nothing anyone else was doing even like the stuff that was well, he, happening with Prog and that he had to because it's like so. a studio musician and then what the hell do you do live you yeah. use lasers and smoke and yeah. mirrors and like literally lasers yeah. and smoke and mirrors this, this is the thing that's I guess cropping that's... up a lot for the artists that I work with at the Rattle so a lot of them write these fantastic bits of electronic music and then they need to go live and they're like, oh, I forgot to learn an instrument. And what do I do? Do I, do I hit some pads on, on... Do I dress as a robot? Do I, what do I do? Yeah, and, I definitely I think, dress as a robot. That's I a great the, advice. I think the Jean-Michel Jarre thing is, is the answer. Yeah. Smoke and lasers. And yeah, but then that's... I guess that's become a, a thing, hasn't it? Chemical Brothers. Yeah. There's no presence by them as such, is there? You know, it's, it's the visuals. Underwear, I guess Cole's a bit more visual, but... You know, I think maybe that's what made electronic music and the prodigy that much different from, yeah. you know, things like Underworld and 
the Chemical Brothers and uh, I'm just trying to think about Left Field and things like that of that era, they really brought a massive stage presence aside from the production. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But there's, there's like two choices. You can either do, do the Daft Punk route or you, yeah. or you attempt to do it live for real. Yeah. Um, and my old band does it for any year. When it was just James and Dan, they they thought they might go down the Daft Punk route and, you know, wear helmets and yeah. be mysterious. Yeah. And I think James realised that he... Just, that's not very exciting. Yeah. And he, he loved grunge uh, and, uh, and Nirvana as much as I did. And he invited me to be in the band and that changed the band to more of a... more of a sort of almost rock... Yeah. Um, indie grunge thing. Yeah. Not just pure dance. Yeah. Uh, which is and so that's why we toured a lot with people like the Prodigy because we were that yeah also that live live production dance yeah band one of the greatest live bands ever the Prodigy do you think <laughs> definitely one of the best show business shows yeah um, having toured with them yeah I I knew that only two of them were doing anything on stage yeah and. You know, they had a drummer, uh, but the drummer was not drumming. He was very much waving his hands in the air in time. Um, but at, as far as the sh- I mean, with that show business, isn't it? Like, yeah. my band had similar things going on where song songs, like the keyboardist would mime something. Yeah. But what matters is, is the show business side of it. Right. I have a feeling it was you that told me this story, and it's just popped into my head about that almost seeing behind the curtain of the realities of rock and roll now did you tell me the rage against the machine walking to the stage story yeah where you weren't allowed you was not allowed to look at them yeah we were like I can't arcade fire as well was it it was um i can't remember where it was it was some festival somewhere and this had happened to us before with metallica where (laughs) we weren't allowed to leave our trailers and Everyone had to sort of respectfully look away whilst the band walked to the stage. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, that's really... I mean, I'd expect it from Metallica because they're mentally yeah. ill. Yeah. Um, but then it happened with Rage as well. It's like you're not allowed to leave your, your trailer because like Rage Against the Machine are walking to the stage. It's really odd. It's really sort of Beyonce. They're a band of the people, right? <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smash the system. That doesn't compare... To, and I'm sure again it was you. And I've told lots of people this. If it weren't you, then 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 I apologise, Bob. Did you tell me the story about Dave Navarro? Yes, I did, mate. That's the greatest, mate. Can I high five that for just one more time? <laughs> so, Dave Navarro, for listeners that aren't aware, and I'm sure most of you are, because I've spoken at length of my love of Jane's addiction, um, and Perry Farrell, uh, and Dave Navarro was. A kind of, he become a, quite a sort of LA looking rock star, didn't he? The yeah. shirt was gone, leather trousers and like big belt buckles and everything. Yeah, he had the full thing that uh, that was married to. Um, oh gosh, what was her name? Uh, no, but I'm sure he was in uh, Guns and Roses as well at some point. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He was in Chili Peppers for a bit, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, mm. that too. But you saw him backstage, right? Yeah, well, so we did, we were this little weird band from England, but then we got to America and suddenly we were really cool. <laughs> um, so we did this award show in, in the States 
and we opened it and Jane's Addiction were playing and Lemonheads were playing and it was super exciting but that day I heard Dave Navarro on the radio talking about his favourite insoles I thought wow that is that's really not fucking rock and roll um, but fine he's got flat feet he talks yeah. about his favourite insoles on radio stations for money sure um, yeah and then we got backstage and I could see the contour makeup on his arms he had eyeshadow on his arms and to so accentuate much, the muscles to accentuate the muscles and he had so much foundation off, off stage I'm sure he looked normal but backstage it was like this strange painted man that's surreal. But uh, do you know what? I'm not surprised. It's LA. Yeah. How was Evan Dando? Did you, be, did you meet him? I did. I really want to share a story, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't share it. Was he all right, though? Yeah, he was very, very generous. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> very, very sharing. Of course, of course he was. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right. Track five, Bob. Cool. Um, so this is the song where I want to know about your, your time clubbing. But um, well, I guess we've discussed. Does it offend you? Yeah, to to, to a degree. So you've gone to America, and then I, I guess you know you, you become a, a you know a big band. Everybody, you know, I. I only found out why you was called Does It Offend You? Yeah, when you told me last week, which I'm really <laughs> surprised at. Um, I thought everything about the band was was really solid. I thought the the, the logo was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I thought it sounded like a lot of different things I like all thrown together. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. And it, to the point where in the studio we would, on the second album, we had one song that sounded like Radiohead, another song that sounded like Yes, and another one that was like a techno tune. And then we had to figure out how to make them sound like they were by the same artist. Yeah. Um, which is quite tricky. Yeah. Um, so we had to take elements of electro and put that on the more band stuff and yeah. vice versa and put yeah. real drums on the electro stuff. And, um, but it was, yeah, I mean... That band was all about James's talent. Yeah. He was the main songwriter. Um, I helped on... There are a couple of songs where I'm really proud of co-writing. But yeah. Yeah, it's really about him. And he... He's mad. He's not a normal human being. He's definitely... Um, he's got that visionary slash insanity gene. And that's what makes great music sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, a difficult person to tour with. Yeah. Um, but then, aren't we all when we're touring? Yeah. Like, I, I went mad touring as well. So, was it for you or not? Touring. Um. Yes. So I love I love travel, and I love performing. It's just the twenty three hours of not doing anything. Um, with a bunch of people who are like your brothers and sisters. Um, so, yeah, there's bic the, the worst thing is the, any sort of bickering or awkward silences. The second worst thing is lack of sleep. I know that my mental health is tied really strongly to, to the amount of sleep I get. And on tour, you get maybe four hours sleep a night. 
and by week two you are you are insane. Them tiredness, that tiredness will accentuate any kind of bickering yeah. twenty fold, right? Yeah. And you you know, if you're if you're on a tour bus, it's a bit like being on a submarine. And if you're a submariner you get you go through rigorous, rigorous psychological tests. Yeah. But if you're in a band, the madder you are the better. Yeah. And you are sleep deprived and you quite know? often there's drugs in your system and you are sleeping on a submarine which never stops moving and never quietens down. And there's no support network for bands regarding that. There is now. Because there's some there's some really good people doing some really good stuff which I've met through the rattle. And I'll give you the details after and you can put them in your show notes. Hopefully. That'd be great because I was about to say that Adam Fyset of yep. uh, was in Baby Shambles, um he's now a counsellor and and uh, and has set up a a, a business purposely in place for the music industry. Yeah. Because I'm sure he's had it first hand some chaos if you've been in, in baby shambles. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's he's actually working on, on something uh, on, a, on a podcast thing with um, Dr. Susie Gage of, who, who does uh, Say Why to Drugs podcast. So that I, I think could be an interesting talk. But I know that Adam set something up because he felt at that point there was no one there offering him any kind of yeah. help and you know, stability in, yeah. in a topsy-turvy world that he's, he's touring and... and, and I've, I've since found out that there was help there, um, but I just didn't know about it. Yeah. There were people like Help Musicians UK, um, who were then called the Musicians Benefit Trust. Right. They were set up... They spend the money that Elgar made. You know, Elgar, the classical... Yeah. yeah. So he left his millions to this trust to help other musicians and they've been really wise with their investments and they've got all this money and they now invest it in artists that are coming through. They invest it in artists, mental health, protecting people's hearing. They're doing really, really good stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Should we talk about clubbing? Do you want to talk about clubbing? Yeah. All right. Um, so when I was 18, my parents moved to another country and we weren't really talking Right, so this is from yeah. Reading? Or yeah, no? yeah, so yeah. Uh, I moved from Wokingham to Reading and I was on my own in a bed sit and I was skint. And what I was, was you doing for, for money then? Would you... um, well, I, I, I wasn't. Was you in bands then? And was you... So I was, I was in bands. I was also not getting any, any benefits. So I was, yeah. uh, well, I was in fact, but I was on this emergency thing where I had £20 every 14 days. So I had £10 a, d- a week to spend. And I spent that on clubbing. Consequently, I lost about six stone over <laughs> one summer. Because <laughs> instead of eating food, I was eating ecstasy tablets yeah. and dancing all the time. Um, but yeah, that summer of 96 was incredible. Um, and I, I met loads of really interesting people. I was introduced to... You know, sort of the crossover between club music and travellers and crusties and um, and protesters and sort of Glastonbury type. Um, I think that was a really interesting time. Was the Whirly Geek on your radar then? Yeah, that sort of thing. And um, there was a thing in Reading called Temple Ball. But I sort of fell in with the free party scene and listened to a lot of acid techno. Uh, and so I picked... Uh, London Acid City by Loki or Loki, mm-hmm. um, particularly the 
John the Dentist remix. Right. Uh, just because every time I listen to that, I, f- I almost feel... No, I, I don't almost feel A rush of euphoria. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I just remember there was a time when you would go to a club and they wouldn't sell alcohol, they'd just have water. And everyone loved each other and everyone was having a really amazing time and you would, you know, I, as, a, as a shy introvert, I would find myself dancing on a speaker stack in front of a crowd of people. Yeah. Um, it's, it was life-changing, and it's a shame that, that's, that the people who do that now are kind of tech bros, and it's um, the tail end of dubstep in the States is very much tied with that world. There's no real, from what I've seen, underground dance thing left anymore. If there is... Have we got any right knowing about it? Are we too old? Uh, well, the thing is, what's new about dance? Yeah. There's really nothing new about it. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was like, it was old in the 90s. I mean, I've, I've spoke about it several times, but I, I, I went to Ibiza for the first time about three years ago, and my perception of, my idea of what it was going to be, of this bohemian kind of Café Del Mar it's just a load of shit was it thought the place was rubbish it was just loads of geezers with six packs just and I went to space to watch Cold Cots because apparently it was the place to be and it was just a load of shit hated it absolutely hated it yeah just could not I just didn't get it you can't go back that's the thing I I wanted something that was going to be bohemian and interesting yeah. and otherworldly but I got I got Essex clubbing but but in in somewhere a bit warmer yeah. and that was it uh, and, and the beer was uh, 15 times as much money um, yeah well, got, as, as because I'm, I'm now surrounded by the most exciting up and coming artists in London yeah I get to see these little glimpses of these small pockets of counterculture that are going on this place is like the Five Bells, I think it's in Deptford, where there's just this cool underground uh, scene going on, which seems to have the same flavour as that dance scene in the 90s. It's like uh, you know, kids with blue hair and nose rings and uh, experimenting with psychedelics and uh, protest, and they're all they're the same people. It's just the music's changed. And I find that really exciting. I find it really heartening to know that there is something coming up that yeah. um, me as a 41-year-old, uh, yeah. I'm not part of. Yeah. I, I think the reason I wanted to do the rattle is because popular music currently, or, or music that makes it to mainstream consciousness, is incredibly vanilla now. It's your Ed Sheerans and your Adele's. And, and I remember around that time of sort of acid house and traveler music that was the moral panic of the time that was on the front page of the daily mail well that was um the criminal justice act wasn't it was yeah. was around. and young people were the baddies yeah. instead of foreigners who were the baddies yeah. now and i i really like the idea of music and counterculture having that effect which steers culture back in the right direction and says maybe stop being racist maybe stop doing this maybe start thinking about that um because counterculture has can and has had that effect where it can change people's minds it can broaden their horizons it can 
um, put people onto philosophy. I, I think it's, it's shortened the length of wars. It's made people read more books. Um, and that, that seemed to go away this century in the UK. Um, it's very much a streaming music industry. Um, people are listening to old bands. You go to a festival, you're more likely to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers than, than, a, than a 20-year-old making new music. Com- completely. I mean, I do think there's, you know, it's, it's really weird. I think that there's some exciting bands. I think there's lots of exciting new music out there. But I think making that crossover into an element of commercial success, yeah, that's the bit where it seems to hinder. Um, and I'm not suggesting that commercial success is any... And you know his reg- recognition for, for for being amazing or or anything like that. But go- going back ten years, you know, lots of exciting new bands become established bands. There, there yeah. was a, there was a route for them to do that, and it feels now that that route's a tricky one to manoeuvre. I mean, you know, you even got bands like you know Idols and and, and things like that that are now you know playing that they're, they're on Jules Holland. Yeah. You know, the only TV show that's left for music, you know, they're, yeah. they've been on there and, and put on, on an, an incendiary performance because it, it felt to me like I just thought, here's our 15 minutes on TV, let's fucking make it can. Yeah. And, and it felt like that. And it felt, it, it, it felt for me the, the way I felt when I saw Las Vegas first go on there and where it just felt like they just, Knew that at one point to just think right, let's let's we're going we've got an audience here. Let's yeah. let's turn them on to it, and but still, you don't hear them on the radio. You no. know, idols don't get played on the radio. Slaves don't get played on the radio. Yes, there's John Kennedy and and you know, and I'm sure that, that there's there's more specialist shows that do plan. But why is it not getting? You know, because um, there are fewer John Peels yeah. now. What the person who decides what you listen to next isn't a person. It's an algorithm. Yeah. So I listen to a lot of George Harrison because I'm a hippie. And so Spotify will say, why don't you listen to more George Harrison? Or why don't you listen to Eric Clapton? That's not... The fact that George Harrison was this dude in, from the 60s and 70s isn't the thing that I like. It's, it's the emotion that I like. And there is no way of... Um, of finding an algorithm that could introduce me to music that I might like. You have to put noise in the system and that, and that noise needs to be a human. And that's where John Peel was fucking awesome. Cause he would yeah. like, he'd play something by half man, half biscuit. And then they'd play a dubstep tune. And then it'd be yeah. drum and bass. And then it'd be the levelers. And, yeah. and the whole point is it's just about good music, not about music that is uh, similar to the music you've just yeah. listened to. And, Oddly, we are all more siloed than we were before. Um, I don't know anything about grime because I've not been introduced to it. And I wish I, I wish I had an introduction to it. And it's weird that all these teenagers who love grime are forced to watch the Red Hot Chili Peppers at festivals. Yeah. And there's this sort of huge cultural divide between the people on stage and the people off stage. Yeah. And I think John Lydon was right saying... The people on stage should reflect the people off stage. It should be teenagers on yeah. the stage. It shouldn't be millionaire white dudes from the 90s. Having their 
contouring down on their arm muscles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. What did you What did you want from clubbing, Bob? Hmm. Honestly, looking back, I think I was I was self-medicating through clubbing. Um, I've always been a bit of a depressive. I think I have ADD. Um, and I'm a bit shy. And I think I was finding in ecstasy, which is what clubbing was for me, um, a release. Uh, obviously, it was really, really bad for me in the end. And I had to stop because it was going to kill me. But... Um, yeah, oh, really? Was, yeah, I think it was self-medication. You enjoyed it a bit too much? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, because it really was like me medicating the unhappiness out of me. And so I had to find other strategies like martial arts and meditation. And, and, yeah. that, and that, that put me back on the right path. Yeah, good. good. Track six. What is track six? A favourite song from an artist from your home county. Okie doke. So I grew up in Wokingham and then in Reading. And there was a band from Reading called Slow Dive. And I, they were one of, the, one of the Thames Valley shoegaze scene bands. See, I never knew about this scene, right? <laughs> until, who was it who come on and mentioned Slow Dive? And am I right in saying Chapter House are from there as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and Thousand Yards... No, was Thousand Yards there from there as well? I think at one point, Radiohead was sort of seen as the logical progression because they're from Oxford and they were a bit... Um, you know, they put delay on their guitars yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of this beautiful, ethereal, miserablest music which used loads and loads of reverb and echo and... It was influenced by, um, you know, Cocteau Twins, um, My Bloody Valentine. Um, but it was very sort of local to, yeah, Reading and Maidenhead and, and all that. They were, uh, well, they got back together, didn't they? And they, they started playing again. I think they put a new album out about two years ago, maybe? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And I went to see them and I cried like I did when I was 14 when I went to see them. Oh, amazing. It was awesome. Um, I got to see um, uh, Ride for the first time last year as well, which were one of the one of my favourite shoegaze bands from, yeah. from from back then as well. And uh, I saw them support the the Cure actually last year. And uh, yeah, that was like it was one of them bands that I wanted to sort of just never got to see them in their prime, and it was just oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was. I think. I'll tell you, I'll ask you what your thoughts are on it as well. So what, so what are your thoughts on sort of the... the oh, the song, by the way, was Alison by Slowdive. I didn't actually Yes, we should get that in. Yeah. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> um, like nostalgia kind of tours of like, you know, bands. Let's yeah. t- let's, we've mentioned Jane's Addiction, so let's say Jane's Addiction. I saw Jane's play Ritual Delibitio. I saw the Lemonheads play Shame About Ray. Yeah. I saw Pixies play Doolittle. Like, what are your thoughts on things like that? Well, when I was like 18, the bands I was enjoying were my age and maybe five years older. And then there were these old, really old dudes, like still touring, like the Stones and um, sort of, what's that super group with Bob Dylan in? Grateful Dead. No, with Bob Dylan and George Harrison. Oh, uh, Travelling Wilburys. Travelling Wilburys. 
And the thing is, the travelling Wilburys in their prime, they were like 35, 40. Did you put that on social media once? Yes. And it freaked me out. You yeah. put the ages of yeah. George, Roy Orbison, and Tom Petty. Yeah. And I think Tom Petty was five years younger than what I am now. And I remember thinking, holy shit, they were like granddads. But they were stuff. a joke, right? Yeah. But they knew it. They were like, hey, we're just middle-aged men having fun. Yeah. Things you go to Reading Festival and it's 50-year-old men on stage. It's, uh, it's the Foo and Fighters. It's, and it's, it's, yeah. It's not right. It's not right that they're playing to kids. Um, I think there is room for nostalgia, and it's just when you force that nostalgia on the next generation that things seem to be broken. Yeah. Again, this is this is the reason why the rattle had to exist because in the streaming era, you have to stream millions of tunes to get to be considered for a main stage or to be uh, to earn enough to pay your rent to continue your career. Um, and we were like. But that means that you have to sell your soul to a label to survive. And, and, and all my favorite music was much more on the independent side. And so we're trying to explore how you, you retain your rights, you retain your creative freedom, and you retain what you are as an artist and not, and not sell out. And so one of our founding questions was, what if music has no value at all? What if you don't need to sell music to be an artist? And that kind of sounds bonkers because there's a whole music industry set up around music being the product. Um, but what if the artist is the product instead? And I think people like Amanda Palmer have, have really shown that there's a way forward. She gives all of her music away for free, but she writes, she performs, she does videos, and she earns about 40 grand a month. Um, she, she got a just Patreon. From, yeah, Patreon. Yeah. She was one of the early pioneers of Patreon and of doing keynote speeches and interacting with fans on a sort of one-to-one basis without any middlemen. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where we're going to get the next Sonic Youth or the next Bjork or the next Dr. Dre from. It's not going to be from a major label investing in someone yeah. because they have to invest in the most broad appeal, blandest yeah. artists. So, so the rattle is... We should explain a little bit more about it. It's a building, sure. right? <laughs> so it's, it's a community of 100 artists, labels, um, uh, music startups, people making technology. And we share a space in London, um, and we call the space The Rattle. Um, and it's got four studios, and it's got a co-working space, and we bring in mentors to help everyone um, think more culturally about their music and more entrepreneurially about the business of the music. Um, and it's, it's really kicking off. And we are now opening one in L.A. And we're looking at one in potentially New York and one in Manchester. And, yeah, we seem to be exactly what we set out to be, which is rattling the music industry, like rattling the cage, being a thorn in their side, producing all these new independent artists who say, actually, I'm not going to sell my soul to you. I'm going to keep my soul and my integrity and earn a living from my music. Because that is success now success used to be um i've got a swimming pool and a bentley success now is i get to keep making my music and pay my rent which is a really tall order yeah never had a bentley or a swimming pool did you bob no so i I, all the time touring and does it for yeah i never earned more than fourteen thousand pounds a year and i remember really clearly a fan saying what's it like being a millionaire I was like, wow. 
you don't get it. We spend every single penny on keeping this train going. Um, That's, it's a, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on this, but it is weird, the bizarre... Um, what's the word? Myth that, that, that if you're in music that you're, or on the telly that you're earning millions of pounds and it's like it's just not happening yeah. and, and, and it scares me that you know that, that young people look at these reality TV stars and just presume that they're all multi-millionaires yeah. when they've probably got as much value as their last endorsement and, and, and that's it you know that like but this, this, this is the particularly weird thing about the music industry is that the average earning of a professional musician in the UK is 18 grand. Is that what it is? If you get an internship at a label, you start on 18 grand. So the people creating the music are the people earning the least in music. And the only comparable um, other industry that I can think of is the cocaine industry. Yeah. Uh, where the people making the stuff that everyone's enjoying yeah. earn far less than 15% of their own income. Yeah. And artists earn about 13% of their own income, which is another reason that we, we needed to start the raffle, because yeah. 15% of fuck all is fuck all. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to yeah, think about how, how else you can earn a living. Where can people find out about the rattle, Bob? Um, you can email me. Okay. Uh, at com, or visit our website which is therattle.co okay and then obviously when this comes out we'll, we'll take you in everything anyway Bob so people yeah. can go and have a nose so last track you can play DJ now Bob the song that many may not know that you want them to hear so this is one of the rattle artists I had a feeling it might be <laughs> uh, she's called Toya Delazy and she's from South Africa and I can't pronounce the name uh but I'll give it a go. It's comma, I think. Right, okay. It's, uh, it's in that click language, which I just can't yeah. remember the name of. But it's a sick tune. Really, really sick tune. Really good video. Um, and it's worth checking out. Okay, and she records it yours? and. Yep, she's one of, uh, yeah, 100 people. And we're, we only filter on um, talent. So we've had a 1,000 people apply to join the rattle. We've got 100 people in there now. And talent is spread amongst uh, all socioeconomic backgrounds, which means we've got nerds, we've got um, rich people, we've got uh, every gender, uh, including non-binary genders. Yeah. We've got um, old people, young people, black people, white people. And the, the You've one got thing talented that, people, right? Huh? They're talented people, right? And everyone's talented. Everyone's amazing. Um, and I, I look around the room and I'm like, oh, God, everyone's better, better than me at everything. That's what that should which, be like. That which should, is right? exactly what it should be yeah. like. And I think everyone in the room feels that as well when looking around. And it's a really exciting thing to be part of. Fantastic. Bob, thanks ever so much for doing this, mate. Another podcast bites the dust. Hope you enjoyed that. He's such a lovely dude, Bobby. It was um, an absolute pleasure. I've known Bobby a, a fair few years now, and it's always really nice to see him. Um, he, he's, he's a real, real kind soul. So it was lovely to be able to catch up with him and and just um, scratch the surface, really, of some bits that I'd never asked Bobby uh, in the time that we've we, we've hung out and, and find out a little bit more about his 
timing does it offend you yeah and 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 the you know what he's built up with the the rattle and and I didn't know a lot of the stuff you know that that he spoke about you know growing up uh so it was it was lovely um you know and and I hope you've you've got um the, the same feeling as I did it's always nice to find out about um you know a real creative powerhouse you know and and to and it, and when it's kind of coupled with the fact that he's a real lovely gent it just makes it even nicer right so thanks once again for listening and go and check out um the back catalogue if this is your first episode because there's lots of interviews with lots of amazing uh musicians actors producers djs go and have a little route through the archives and and if you still want more then there is a patreon page where i put an episode up each week as well um you can find out about all of this at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com thanks again and i'll see you next time bye bye oh yeah sorry i've butted in yet again i just want to quickly tell you about this magazine it's called pod bible now pod bible is the new essential guide to podcasts it's put together alongside Spotify and Acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It may stew with it. 
the secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.